and we're going to go ahead and look at a familiar passage of scripture that maybe you're familiar with or maybe you're not or maybe you've heard of it addressed before or maybe you've heard of it referenced before but some have called this the greatest parable that Jesus ever shared. Jesus would share parables to teach people in a, in a format of story. And so the same way we watch movies and the same way we, we read books that are in ways to teach us certain things, Jesus would do something similar. He would tell stories. And there would always be a lesson there for us. And he would always be specific in who he addressed them to. And so we're going to look at one here now in Luke chapter 15. The message that I want to preach to you today is simply titled, It's Time to Come Home. It's Time to Come Home. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to, to share your word this morning, to preach your word, to teach your word, to grow deeper into your word. God, I thank you for all the people that brought friends this morning, all the people that brought family members this morning, to hang out with us here at Walk Church and to hear your word preached and sung about, God. As Peter shared, Lord, thank you for for taking our judgment, God. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for dying for our sins. And God, thank you for giving us your life. And so we celebrate that today. Give us that spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Time to come home. This is a passage of scripture that we see in the Gospel of Luke, specifically chapter 15. I want to I read a couple verses just to set the stage for us today so we understand who's talking to us, who he's talking to, and what we can learn from it. So in Luke chapter 15, specifically in verse 1 through 3, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine this with me, all right? I want you to, to go into your imagination and picture Jesus, all right? As long as you don't picture Jesus as a white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, you'll have probably a, a, the right Jesus, okay? I, I picture Jesus as buff and tough. He was a carpenter. He was a grinder. He was a, he, he was a cool cat is how I picture Jesus. All right? So now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, man, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Do you guys got the setting right there? If you miss that, you'll miss everything else today. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and he notices, all right, this crowd is getting bigger. And he looks to the left, and he sees a whole bunch of tax collectors and sinners. Right? He sees a lot of people that are sinful in nature, sinful in practice. There might have been prostitutes there. There might have been drug dealers. There were tax collectors. Tax collectors were the worst, right? They were, they were, they were Jewish people stealing Jewish people's money and then selling it back to Jewish people for more money. It makes no sense, right? That's why they were so hated. These are the people that are in the audience right now, right? You see them? On the other side, we see the Pharisees and the scribes. And so you got the Pharisees who are the most religious, elite people of the day. So they, they can't even hardly focus on Jesus because they're staring at the tax collectors. They're so angry that they're there. And then you got the scribes that are also the holy people that follow the Pharisees around and they just write what they hear. Like, oh, that Pharisee speaking? Write it down. Scribe that thing, right? Jot that down on your scroll, <laughs> okay? So you got the Pharisees and the scribes. You got the sinners and the tax collectors. And you got Jesus, amen? Welcome to church, right? That's, this, is, this is the setting of the stage. And Jesus goes, oh, 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 oh. I, I got the perfect story for you guys. 
I got a parable for both of y'all. And I want you to know it today. Jesus gives us a couple appetizers. He talks about this lady who lost a coin and how she searched all around her house to find this coin. And when she found it, she rejoiced. And then he talked about the shepherd who had, who had 100 sheep, had 99 sheep. And when one left, he left the 99 to just go find that one because he's a good, good father. He went and found that sheep because he cared about that lost person. He cared about that lost sheep so much he would go find him. And then when he found him, they celebrated. And Jesus says, the same thing happens in heaven when one of you guys come home. When, when, a, when a person says, you know what, I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to go back home to Jesus. There's a party that goes off. There's an alarm system that happens in heaven. Some of you guys think that heaven is going to be like little chubby babies flying around shooting a bow and arrow. It, it's not. It's going to be a huge party. And Jesus is going to be the life of it. Because every moment of the day, I think somebody in the world's coming to know Jesus. There's one person that's being found. There's one person that's being rescued. There's one person that's saying no to sin, yes to him. And the moment that happens, the alarm goes off again. And it's nonstop. And I'm looking forward to that day. And so Jesus says, all right, you guys ready for the story? We're about to jump into it, starting, starting in verse uh, 11. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Let's do this. In verse 11, it says that, um, that Jesus said to them this parable. We can try to find it on the screen. I'm just going to go ahead and read it to you. It says, he said to them, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. So that, that's verse 11a that I want us to, to just check out, right? I want us to check out verse 11a that says, there, there's, there's a share of estate coming to me, and I, I want it now. And here's why this is important. And we're just going to break this down kind of piece by piece. But this is an outlandish statement this morning, church. Follow me here, right? So basically this son comes up to his dad. And he's like, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. In other words, he's saying, Father, I wish you were dead. Because in this culture, the, when the father died, half of the property that he owned would go to the, the, the younger son, the other half to the older son. I think even the, the, the older son would get even more. The younger son would get his, maybe a third or his part of the property. So when the father died, it would be dispersed amongst his sons. Now there's two sons here, right? And the, the, the younger of the sons says, Father, give me the property that is coming to me, right? I don't know about you dads in the room, but if your son comes up to you and says, you know what, dad, I can't wait for you to die so I can get what you owe me. Like, I don't know how you're responding to that, but that's a little cray-cray, amen? That's like, yo... Son, right? Like, son, you can't, you can't ask that. You can't, you can't say that, right? And, and that's really disrespectful. That's dishonorable in this Jewish culture that Jesus is referencing. These Pharisees and scribes really got ticked off right there. They're like, he said what to his dad? He asked for his share of property now? This is crazy. It, don't, don't miss that. But let me tell you what's even crazier. You guys ready? This next verse is even crazier. It says that the dad divided his property between them. The fact that the dad would then go, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, son, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And the dad says, you know what? If I were to die today, the property that my younger son would get, he would get this amount. And so the dad, 
he, he, he gets all that together and he gives it to his son. By now, I think that the Pharisees that were listening were probably like, I cannot believe he just did that. Like, what a terrible dad. Like, he must have no self-worth. He must have no respect. He must have no honor. And I bet you that the, the sinners and the tax collectors in the audience were like, whoa, that was pretty crazy. Like, that was kind of gnarly, right? I don't know if they would have said gnarly. I, I'm not going to ever say that word again. All right. Um, so let's keep on reading into verse 13, okay? Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living, right? Here's why I, I want to just stop there for a second. So this younger son, I, I think that maybe he saw some highlight video of Las Vegas. He's like, yo, that nightclub looks awesome. Whoa, that beach party looks crazy. Or, yo, that, that whole thing right there, that's what I want. Living at home with dad and family and eating dinner. Like, I want, I want to go there. And, dad, I wish you were dead so that you could give me what you owe me so I can, like, take a trip to a faraway place. It's called Las Vegas or something like that. And, and I'm going to go there. Y'all can just have all this stuff. This is all whack. I want to go there, Right? And so the younger son gathered all that he had. He's like getting his bag packed. He's like, I'm going to see you guys never, right? Like, I'm out of here. He took a journey. He bought himself a ticket. And it was there that he squandered his property in reckless living. Another translation may say wild living. I don't know what all of this reckless living consisted of, but you fill in the blanks, all right? That's what he was squandering his finances on. This was a planned plan. He thought, you know what? This is going to be what life is all about. I'm going to finally experience joy. I'm going to be happy. If I can just go be by myself and be on my own and do what I always wanted to do and do what's on that magazine or on that show or live that lifestyle that that person lives, I'm going to be fulfilled in life. And so he goes and now he's doing it. Let's keep looking. Verse 14 through 16. It says, when the younger son had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So let's go ahead and look at these verses really quick here. I think that it's really neat that he, he won, runs out of his money. He squandered it all. He lost it all. And, and at that moment, a severe famine arose in the land. You guys know what a famine is, right? Like, there's no money. There's no jobs. And not only that, there's no food. So he's struggling. And mind you, remember the culture, right? He can't go home. He's totally lost all reputation with his family. In fact, in this culture, many scholars believe if you would have done something so disrespectful to a parent and then actually followed through with it and left, you would be considered as dead. You'd be considered as that person's never going to come back. And if he does come back, he would never be welcomed back. And so this young son doesn't have a thought, man, I ran out of all my money. There's no way I... He doesn't think, maybe I can come home. He's like, yo, I got to do what I got to do now. I got to hustle. I got to grind, whatever that may be. And so he spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country. And so he began to be in need. His pockets were empty. 
So he goes, you know what? I got to get a J-O-B. Amen? Some of y'all like, amen. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. So this is a non-Jewish man. This is not in his culture. This is not what he's familiar with. But he says, hey, I need a job or else I'm going to starve to death. So this man said, okay, I got a job for you. How about I send you into the fields with the pigs? Now, you guys might not understand the depth of what's happening here. But again, at this point, the Pharisees are just feeling dirty. Right? The Pharisees and the scribes are like, no. Anything but the pig pen. So in this culture, right, it was, it was, it was unlawful to eat a piece of bacon, let alone work with pigs. Right? Like, to actually work in the pig field and to, like, touch them they were considered to be the most unclean animal because diseases would travel through pigs. They were, they were considered to be gross to any Jewish person. And now this son is hired out to hang out with the pigs in the field. And he was so desperate, check this out, that he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. Brothers and sisters, no one gave him anything. That was a hungry kid, amen? Like, can you just see him in the pig area? Like, I could just see him sitting there, kind of back against the, the fence. He's got hay all around him. He doesn't smell good. He's dirty. He's getting skinny. He's hungry. He's so hungry that he stares over at the pigs as they're eating their pig slop. And he's like, man, that looks good. You guys ever seen pig slop? Let me put a picture up on the screen for you, all right? That, he's over there like, man. I would love to just join in that right now. That's desperate. This is where he's at, church. And, and you may not know this, but there may be somebody that's here today. And they may be in their own spiritual pig area. And they've left God. They've left the Father's house. They said, you know what? It's got to be better in the world. There's got to be a better way for me. And they've ventured into the world and thought, you know what? This has got to be where it's at. And then they squandered everything. They lost everything. They, f they found out that that person wasn't real. This person wasn't really what it was. That, that only lasted so long. Now I feel convicted. Now I feel dirty. And now I'm just like, where do I even go from here? This is where the younger son is. This is where the younger son is. Let's keep on reading to see what happens with his story next. Verse 17 through 19. So when he, the younger son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Notice the exclamation point, that's why. He, he, he was excited, church. He had this memory. He goes, you know what? There's no way I could ever go back and be a son. My dad would never let me back in, but maybe he'll bring me on as a servant. And then I can get the scraps at least from the table. And I, can, I won't have to live here and work here. Even the servant that he, even the, the guy he was employed to said, you can't have any of the pig stuff. It was really bad, amen? Look at the person next to you and say, really bad. It was really bad, all right? It was really bad. So he came to himself and said, you know, my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. They're doing all right. I mean, they're not living in the house. They're not, you know, eating at the table, but they got, they got us, they got, they're doing cool. Like, Pops is taking care of them. So here's what I'm going to do. I will arise, I will go to my father, and, and I'm going to say this to him. You know what he does? He starts preparing his speech. Have any of you guys ever done that, right? 
Maybe you're getting ready to go out on a date, and you're like, all right, when I see her, I'm going to be like, what's up? They're like, maybe you're, gonna be, you're looking in the mirror like, yeah, here's how I'm going to. I always think of the scene in Home Alone. It's one of my favorite movies. Christmas is getting close, amen? I start thinking Christmas is close in August. And no, no amens there, all right? That's all right. Uh, but I love that scene on Home Alone where he's like thinking, he's like, and all these like stuff's popping in his head, right? And he's like, yeah. And, and here's him, and he's like thinking, all right, when I see my father, if he doesn't clothesline me and kick me out of the whole neighborhood, I'm going to get this speech out. I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to say. He's going to say, Father, I am no longer wor- worthy to be called one of your sons. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then he closes the paper up and says, that's pretty good, right? Like, I, I-, I know that I've sinned. He goes, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge it. I'm not hiding from it. Keep it 100. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your child. I get that. Just let me be a servant. And he goes, I got nothing else to do. I'm dying here in the pig pen. I'm going to go for it. And the, and the sinners and the tax collectors in the audience are listening to Jesus like, yeah, like, you got it, man. You can do this. Go back. Go try it. I know you messed up, but we messed up too. Go for it. And the Pharisees are like, if that dad even listens to this speech, the Pharisees are still mad that the, that, that the t- sinners are even in the crowd, right? And the Pharisees are like, man, what a, what, a, what, a, what a terrible kid. Like, he's with the pigs. He squandered all of the estate that, that, that his dad had given him, and now he thinks he's going to go home. He's not going home. He's not going to get nothing. Let's keep reading. As we look at verse 20 through 24, it says that he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, watch this, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced this smelly, stinky, sinful kid and kissed him. The Pharisees are screaming like they cannot believe that this is happening. No! Why is this dad doing this? And the son said to him, all right, that was weird, right? Like, like check this. Could, could you think, just think about, it's happened to the son's mind. He's a long way off. He's getting close to the neighborhood and he's starting to feel a little scared. Like, oh gosh, maybe this was a bad idea. I think I might turn back around and go to the pig pen. Because like, he sees his dad's on the driveway. And you know what I believe? I think that that means that the dad was, every day he was coming out looking. Is my son coming home yet? Is he coming back yet? Not yet. Is he coming back yet? Is he coming? And then one day from a long way off, he sees his son approaching the neighborhood. And what happens here? Any commentator or scholar would say here that what the father did was completely unnatural and disrespectful. Fathers don't run. In this culture right here, there, there was no running. There, 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 there was no uh, getting yourself dirty. You sent a servant to do that for you. He was a wealthy man. He could have totally done that. And so he felt compassion. He ran and 
He embraced him. I wonder if he, the, he thought he was about to be tackled, right? The young son's like, oh man, dad's running. This is all bad. No, no, I don't want, no, it's okay. I'm going to, and, and the father embraces him, amen, and starts kissing on him. And verse 21, the son's like, where's my speech? Where's my speech? The son's like, oh man. Um, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father cuts him off. The father's like, I won't hear any more of this garbage. He didn't even get to finish his speech. Father said, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. Servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. He continues. He says, put a ring on his hand. He says, put shoes on his feet Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. Verse 24, again, my son was dead and is alive again. Remember, they thought he was dead. Like that's, that's not just religious jargon right there. Like that right there is, is actual factual thinking. We thought he was dead. There's no way he's coming back. The whole neighborhood, no way he's coming back. The Pharisees, no way he's coming back. Our son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Let me just highlight a couple points in these passages that you must, you must, 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 must see. Here's a few things that you need to see. The father sees him. I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to know that God the father sees you right where you're at. Compare yourself to this young son's story. You might say, I don't have it all together. Neither does he. But the father sees you. You don't surprise him. Your mess doesn't surprise him. He sees you. And how does he feel about you? He feels compassion towards you. Right? He, this word compassion, it, it, it's a deep indwelling feeling inside. That stirs you up to the point where you see somebody differently. Like it's one person, it's one way to see somebody that's in need. And it's another point to see somebody that it now, it's now your need. Right, like I can't move until I help this person. I got compassion for this person. The father sees him, feels compassion toward him, runs to him. It's amazing stuff, amen? He runs toward him, he embraces and kisses him. I think that's the place right there where the Pharisees lose it. Like, this whole time they've hated this story. And now the father embraces and kisses this son and then cuts off his speech because he wants him to know it's really good here's what's really good let me give you the next slide here the next thing that you need to see is this he calls for the best robe the best robe is symbolic of royalty servants wouldn't wear robes only the people in the house wore robes and let, let me tell you something the father says give him my robe i want this dirty son of mine to have the best robe amen I want him to wear my robe. That stands for royalty. My son is not, a, uh, uh, not just somebody who's out there. He's my son. And he's, he's royalty. He says, put a ring on his hand. See, the ring symbolized sonship. So rings in this culture, I shared a little bit about it when I talked about how the Holy Spirit seals us. It's the same type of language in this context. So the sons would wear a ring, right? 
And on their ring would have an engraving of the father's initials. And so they would use this as a form of payment. So when the son would enter into the grocery store and grab some bread and grab some milk and grab some food, when he would go to pay for it, they'd say, let me see your ring. Oh, you're good. We know who to charge that to. So the moment that the dad says, you now have a ring, he says that you're my son. He now has authority. He now has a position. He now has a placement. He now has a posture of sonship, right? I was reading about this. I've been reading through the book of Esther in my devotional time. Nina and I both have just been kind of pressing through this book one chapter at a time. I thought it was so unique that in the book of Esther, in the first few chapters, you see this actually happen. You see that the king um, gives the person in his command his ring, and then that, that person says, you know, this is on the king's card. Boom, and stamps his ring, and they're like, oh, okay. And the same thing is happening here. Right? He's got the father's signature on his finger. So he says, you, you got the best robe, put it on him, put the ring back on his finger, and put shoes on his feet. The servants wouldn't wear shoes. They maybe would have some type of slip-on or, or sandal or maybe no shoes at all. This was their occupation. This was their position. And the father says, you're not going to be a servant. You actually are worthy to be called a son. You actually are mine. And I want you to have the best robe. I want you to have the best ring. I want you to have the best shoes, the Jordans. Y'all didn't catch that. Maybe you'll get that later. Um, but the best, right? Put them on his feet. And then lastly, he says, and we're going to kill the fattened calf. And we're going to eat and celebrate. Now, what is this idea around the fattened calf? The fattened calf is important because the fattened calf was a, 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 um, an animal. This was the biggest animal that you could kill and eat from. When the fattened calf was killed, that meant that there was a block party like we had yesterday. Everybody eats. The whole neighborhood comes when the fattened calf is killed. They would only kill the fattened calf one time a year. And it would oftentimes take three or four months to prepare. So, so think about it. They've been preparing this fattened calf for a long time. They were maybe saving it for the, the, the yearly Christmas party. Or they were saving it for maybe one of the major Jewish holidays. They were saving this fattened calf. And all of a sudden, the father is like, you do what? Like, you want us to get the fattened calf out? How important is it to this dad that his son came home? I mean, think about it. Now the Pharisees can't believe. Like, why are you going to kill the fattened calf? Like, no, don't. Don't do that. And the father's response is amazing. We talk about amazing grace. The word grace by definition means you don't deserve it. Did this son deserve all that? Honestly, no, right? He doesn't. But the father says he does. That right there is a picture of grace. Verse 24, my son was dead, y'all. This is a worthy celebration. He's alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now, now listen to this, church. If we, if we close the Bible right there, you'd be like, oh, happily ever after. Awesome story, right? I feel like it, it, as we get, get ready to just continue reading and finish this story up, if this was a movie, and, like the soundtrack would shift right now to like, bum, bum, bum. Because like, what we see next is just as important and quite interesting as well. Remember at the beginning of the story, there was two sons, right? Everybody say two sons. Say two sons. There was two sons, right? We, got, we saw the younger got what he asked for, and we just saw his whole journey before us. 
Let's go, go ahead and keep reading. Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Dancing? Why are people dancing in the house? Why did I smell like the fattened calf is being cooked? He heard music. This right here just shows you how lost and far away the older son was. He doesn't even know what's going on. There's a whole celebration happening and he's out back doing chores. Why isn't he in the house? Right? The older son's in the field. So he draws near. He hears music. Is that music? Dancing? Verse 26. He calls one of the servants. What's going on, bro? He asked him what these things meant. Verse 27. He said to him, your brother's come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Isn't that amazing, brother? Verse 28, he was angry. He was salty. He was super salty. He was angry and he refused to go and he said, I'm not going in. He was mad, y'all. The Pharisees are like, yeah, finally someone who knows what he's doing. Pharisees is like, he better not go celebrate that stuff. That father and that fattened calf. I wouldn't even eat from that. Nasty. So he said to him, your brother's come. He got angry. He's not going in. So now the father gets word of this and says, he's having a party. The father's dancing. He's, he's giving people high fives. He's hanging out. The son is just like overwhelmed by love. It's like, I can't believe people love me this much. I can't believe dad gave me the ring back. He's just staring at the ring. I thought I'd never see this again. He's crying. He's amazed by God's grace. And so the father's like, where's our older son? Where's my firstborn son? Where is he? Got to be in here celebrating. And the servant says, he's not coming in and he's not too happy. He's out back. The father's like, oh man. He goes and finds his older son and has a little conversation with him. He says, specifically, as we look at verse uh, 28 through 30, he was angry, refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. And he answered his father. So the father's entreating him right now. The father's pleading with him. Son, your brother came home. He's your blood. He's your family member. We... We got to celebrate this. And it says very, very, very crucially here, he says that the older son answered his father, look. Now that right there is a disrespectful greeting. He doesn't say father. He doesn't say dad. He says, look at here. Look. These many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you've never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he's got some good points here, church. Right? So he must have saw a Facebook timeline. The younger son must have been out there with, the, with some ladies he shouldn't have been with. He was flashing his property. The older sons hates it. Like, I can't believe he's doing this. 
Come on, y'all seen some bad posts before. Y'all may have posted some bad posts before. Just saying. I, 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 I understand. God's grace. He said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Did you guys just catch that? You know what the father's saying, church? He's saying, if you want to go to celebrate with your friends, just ask. All you had to do was ask. You can have it. Everything that's mine is already yours. Wow, that's a huge statement. He says, son, you're always with me. We, you're with me. Like, what, what are you tripping about, son? Like, if you want to have a party, you can have a party. If you want to eat from the fattened calf, you can eat. We do this together, and he finishes in verse 32. He says, but son, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. Again, guys, he was dead. He was gone and is alive. He was lost and is found. Jesus ends the parable right here. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to two different people, even in the local church today. There's people here today that have left their relationship with Jesus. Maybe they've left the Father's house, or maybe they never even knew about it. Maybe they never even knew that the house was open. And then there's some people in here today that's grown up in church, have always known what to do and what not to do and what to say and what not to say, and you get mad whenever a sinful person comes. And the Father wants both in his house. And the Father's saying, hey... If you've always been with me, how cool is that? And he's saying, if you're here today, and, and it's time for you to come home, it's time for you to come home. I don't know about you, but I, I, want, you, I want to challenge you with this, church. I want you to examine where you're at in the story. See, maybe you're at the house right now thinking, man, I think I want to go. I want to go to the world. I want to go do what everybody else is doing. I want to go, I want to go live like everybody else. That's going to make me happy. I want to be popular. I want to do what everybody else is doing. Maybe you're thinking about that. Let's learn from the younger son here. At the end of the day, it doesn't work. I've tried that before. Didn't work for me. Just being honest. Or maybe you're actually there in the pig area right now thinking, man, I got to come home. Like, this is not working for me. But maybe you're thinking, God will never accept me back. I got to write a speech and all that. Like, there's no way he's going to take me as a son. Can we learn today how God really feels about us? Can I tell you something? I said it last week in our Ephesians series. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It matters what God thinks about yourself. It doesn't matter how you see yourself. When God looks at you, if he sees somebody with a robe on, that's you. If he sees a ring on your finger, that's who you are. Maybe you should start to see yourself how God sees you. I mean, when we sing, you're a good, good father and I'm loved by you, speak that over your heart, church. Don't just sing words on a screen. You're loved by God. Or maybe you've been in the house a long time and you just forgot what God's love looks like. You've become religious. If you're looking for a religion, this isn't the church for you. 
Because we're not all about do's and don'ts here. We're all about Jesus and experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ. And it's Jesus in us that begins to produce his life through us, right? And so the reason why we're obedient, the reason why we say no to sin and yes to him is because it's better in the Father's house. Like, I've tried this and it didn't work, but I've always enjoyed being with the Father. It's not always easy. Sometimes I get pulled. Sometimes I may even go to the driveway and think, nah, I ain't going back. God is better. He's better. He's better than anything that you could think of that may be better than him. He's better than any sin that may be tempting you. He's better than any occupation that you feel you're putting over him. He's better than um, any idols that are in your life. He's better than the favorite sport team that you have. Not to say that those things are wrong. Just saying that God's better. Let me tell you why he's better. He created it. He's totally better. Don't, don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. Don't worship the blessing. Worship the source who gave you the blessing. He's better. So wherever you're at today, Jesus is speaking to both crowds in the room. He's speaking to older brothers. He's speaking to younger brothers. And he's saying, really plainly put, it's time to come home. Father God.